So I'm uh, about to do all of you a, a bit of a favor. I'm going to make you a lot more cool, a lot more hip. I'm going to let you know some phrases, some, some, some slang words, if you can put it that way, that, um, will, that a lot of the young people are using today. And now you'll know what they're saying. You'll know what they mean. So baby boomers, Gen X, you're welcome. This is going to be a great help to you. Um, however, uh, I also say you're welcome to you millennials and Generation Z because uh, the reality is, I know the stereotype is that you know all these slang words. That the stereotype in a country is if you're young and or black, you know every slang phrase out there. But the truth is, most of us know maybe half of them, and we just pretend that we know the rest of them. So I'm going to help you out as well. Here's some things that are being said in the streets these days, said among the young people, um, to help you out, to know what's being said. So, number one, uh, to be pressed. To be pressed means to be irritated or annoyed. You can also have this sense of uh, being overly annoyed or irritated, based on contextual cues, of course, right? You've got to look at the context. So, for example, why are you so pressed about that teacher? Right? That's how you would use it. Uh, out of pocket, that's a favorite one of mine, right? To be way off base, do something that's out of line. Right? That customer was way out of pocket yelling about their order, right? That's an example. Low key. That means you're like moderately into something. You're not like hugely into it, but you know you're, you're kind of you kind of dig it. You're into it. So, example, uh, I low key like Taylor Swift's music, right? <laughs> That's kind of a true one for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know I'm black and I should admit it, <laughs> but it's it's catchy. 1989 was a good album. I I couldn't admit. I have to admit. Um, Country music is still terrible. I don't want to lose my black card entirely. <laughs> so I can't go too far. Country music is still terrible, but Taylor Swift, I, I kind of dig it. I can't, I, I can't I admit it. I low-key like Taylor Swift's music. <laughs> True confession. Um, salty, uh, to be bitter or upset about something. Did my toddler just roll her eyes at me? She must be salty that I took the last donut, right? Toddlers be doing that, now you have the word to use. You're being salty, right? Fire. To be make something that's amazing, something that's awesome. Taylor Swift's last album was pretty fire, right? <laughs> it's a good album. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. Um, last one. I said all that just to get to this last one. This is why I want to use this. So I can use this word and you understand what I mean. Uh, roll deep. Roll deep is to have a large group of people around you, right? Have a, large, a lot of people with you. We roll deep when we come into this neighborhood, right? It's that sense of... I show up with a lot of people who I'm connected to. It, it implies community, community that like you are in relationship with, and that a, a lot of different types of people who you are connected to in, in, in relationship with, a tight-knit community. We roll deep. And when we look at this passage, you, maybe you see why I want to use this, this phrase and I wanted to explain what that meant. What you see in all those different names and all those different people is community. That's the, I think, the slang word that, that came to mind as I looked through this passage. This is an example of a community that rolls deep. Some quick background before we get too far in this. Um, you know, our passage, of course, we're in the last chapter of Romans. Uh, and what Paul is doing as he closes up this letter, verses 1 to 16, he sends some greetings to people that he knows that are in Rome or others that he sort of knows through other people, uh, commending them. He also commends some people who are going to be there coming to Rome. Verses 21 to 23, he sends greetings from people who are with him. He's writing in Corinth, and so he sends greetings from the people who are with them and, and saying, hey, we also want to greet you and extend our, 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 our warm welcomes to you. 
if you look at through both those sections that, we, that Amy read, 34 different names are mentioned, representing five different house churches. Uh, Paul rolls deep. And what I mean by that is, like, you are seeing his community. These aren't just throwaway names, right? Just sort of, he's sort of like going through a Rolodex and just sort of picks random names. The things that he says about them, the way he talks about them says, these are people he's connected to, people he's in relationship with, right? This is what living like a Christian should naturally be like. To be a Christian is not, we don't do things by ourselves. We're not meant to. There's no such concept in the Bible of Lone Ranger Christianity. A faithful Christian always rolls deep. They're part of community, part of what we call the church. Uh, like Paul, we're in relationship with other people. We're connected to other people. When you picture yourself as a Christian, I want you to picture yourself with other people all around you. As you think of your faith, following Jesus, your faith is individual, right? You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it's just as much individual as it is communal. We have personal relationship with Jesus. My community has a relationship with Jesus, and we want to follow Jesus together. We roll deep. But in saying that, it's sort of a, a big sense of what I think this passage is, is showing to you. This passage helps us sort of think about that a little bit more. What does that really mean, that we roll deep? What does it mean that we have a community, we have lots of people with us? What I want to do this morning is look at maybe two different categories for us to understand what it is for us to roll deep, to have lots of people around us. First, what it means to have lots of different types of people. So what we're going to see, hopefully, as we look through this community that is the church, the people Paul is connected to, is they're not, they're not all just like Jewish elites like him. Um, it's lots of different types of people. That's his community. So that's the first category we're going to look at. Category number two, the characteristics of the people that he's rolling with, that he's with. Um, that these type of different types of people are going to come together and stay together because they exhibit certain ways of relating to one another and acting together. So those are the different, different categories we want to see and observe about this community in ways that hopefully help us understand the kind of community that we want to be. Got it? So uh, first, we roll deep. We as a church community roll deep with women. Significant, capable, hardworking, faithful women. So Phoebe, Prisca, Maria, Unia, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis. There's a lot of women in that list of names that you heard. And maybe we, we missed this, but you have to sort of get back into the, the first century. That's unusual to mention all these women. First century, in the Jewish religion, in the Greco-Roman religions, um, like you, don't, you only focus on the men. Uh, and men and women are generally just segregated. Like you're doing, women do things separately from the men. We don't see that here with Paul. Paul mentions women by name, and in fact, he mentions them, none of these women, he doesn't mention the men they're connected to. Back then, like, you're only significant as a woman to the degree in which you're connected to a man. Some, a lot of these women have no men mentioned at all with them. He just mentions them. He talks about them. He greets them. And in the ways that he talks about them, he sees how much he appreciates them, how much he values them, how essential they are. You get the sense that they're not segregated in another part of the church room, right, church building. They're together. They're working alongside. He, he can't do ministry apart from these women. He can't roll deep. The community can't be the full community that it needs to be without these women right alongside, leading from the front. So some examples of this. Some, it's interesting some of the things he, he ways he mentions these women and describes them. Phoebe in verse 1. Uh, she seems to be a single woman. She's mentioned and described these notes there as a servant at Syncre. That's better translated as a deacon of Syncre. It's the way that the, 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 the Greek is, is put there. It's, it's an official title. She's a deacon there. So she's a leader for her hometown church. And notice he says he commends her to them. 
So the implication is they're going to meet her as they read this letter. So what most scholars believe then is that, like, the reason he's commending, hey, I'm commending her to you as you read this means that she's the one carrying this letter to the Roman church. Um, so he's commending her. That's what you would do often for a letter writer. I'm, I'm saying treat this woman well who's bringing this letter to you. Back in, that, in those ancient times, that also would suggest that she's a, the person who's carrying the letter is going to want the one to make sure that everyone reads it and understands it. So Phoebe is going to be the one likely to distribute the letter to the different house churches in Rome, maybe answer initial questions about what Paul is saying, because she's the one who first gets this letter and is going to distribute it to those different churches. So think about this. This is an important letter. This is Romans, right? <laughs> Some people, I mean, deep theology, a lot of stuff in here. Paul's got to make sure it gets to this church fix Phoebe to do it. You're the best one to make sure this happens. A single woman deacon. Prisca, uh, also known as Priscilla in, uh, in uh, other parts of the Bible, who's married to Aquila. This is verses 3 to 4. So um, some background in this. Priscilla and Aquila met Paul in Corinth. They used to live in Rome. The emperor kicks out all the Jews from Rome, and so they end up meeting Paul and doing ministry with him in Corinth. Eventually go to Ephesus. They start a small group Bible study that helps train one particular leader named Apollos there in Ephesus. They eventually make their way back to Rome, and they host a church in their house. That's why he says, hey, greet, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Like, I've been, these are close friends of, of Paul, and he, he wants, to show, wants to show his appreciation thing for them, his recognition of who they are. Notice what it says there. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. It's not on the screens, but... Uh, the rest of the passage says, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also their church in their house. You know, he mentions them being fellow workers, which is to say that, like, they helped me get all these different churches started all over the Roman Empire. Like, Paul could not have accomplished all that he did without her and her husband's help. You know, it's also worth mentioning, notice Prisca or Priscilla, she's mentioned first, before her husband, like you didn't do that in ancient times. You mentioned the husband, then the wife. And that suggests something about her importance in their mutual ministry. A lot of people think that maybe she was the prominent voice. She was, you might say, the one who, who most represented the ministry that they did together. So Paul recognizes that. He, he, he's happy to recognize that in how he, descri- how he mentions her in this letter. Verse 6 mentions Mary, who worked hard for you. Um, Verse 7 mentions uh, Adronica and Unia. This is another husband and wife ministry team who, it seems, were likely commissioned missionaries, commissioned church planters, sent out by the church, similar to like Timothy or, or Barnabas, to do mission work to, to, to start churches. Uh, Adronica and Unia. So as you look at all this, you know, I, we're all aware of the different <laughs> debates and, and discussions about Men and women in society, men and women in the church, the different conflicts and tensions between men and women in the church, in society, the ever-enduring questions like, so how do we get along? How do, how do we figure these things out? Well, here's a picture of what it can and should be. Women and men, valuable before God, valuable to one another. Caring about, appreciating one another. If we are to roll deep, as I've been saying, it's going to need men. But it for sure needs women. And women like this, not in the background, right? Not in the stereotypical kitchen, right? Women in significant roles doing gospel ministry. Paul would not say these are fellow workers if he didn't mean it. These are women who are key 
to what he does. For us to be the community, if you imagine yourself as a Christian, part of a church, we should imagine like lots of women right there alongside us, and we should elevate those women. We should celebrate those women, train them, release them to do all the things that only they can do for the sake of our community. So we roll deep with women. Number two, we roll deep with people of low social status and power. A lot of the names here, if you, we, none of us are, are lived in ancient times, so we wouldn't recognize this, but a lot of those names are common names for slaves or freedmen. So freedmen are people, slaves who were able to buy their freedom, but they're basically only just one step up from, from slaves, right, in, in terms of the social status. Slaves at the very bottom, one step up is a freedman or freed woman. So verses 10 and 11, it mentions those who belong to the family of Aristobulus, uh, those in the world who belong to the family of Narcissus. Those are likely slaves, right? So slaves are identified to, by the family they belong to, the household they belong to. So he gives greetings to these, to these slaves. Verses eight, verses 8 to 10 mentions uh, Amphilatus, Urbanus. Those are common slave names as well. So they're either currently slaves or freedmen. They recently were able to free themselves from slavery, and they still have their old slave name. Verse 12 mentions uh, three different women here, all common slave names of that day, all those women who are mentioned there. Verse 14, all those names there, these are common names for slaves or freedmen. So w- let me just quickly say, slavery in the first century was, was a different from slavery in our country. So slavery in our country, of course, was people going to kidnap black people in Africa, bringing them to this country, enslaving them. It's permanent. It's based on race. If you're black, you're enslaved, and your children and grandchildren are permanently slaves. The only way you can be not a slave in our country for many years was if you ran away or your master happened to, was willing to free you. Right? So that's slavery in this country. Slavery in the first century is, was a bit different. Um, back then, uh, in that, uh, back in the first century, uh, it wasn't necessarily based on race. Anyone could be a slave. Um, oftentimes, many people ended up being slaves because they couldn't pay their debts, um, or they, you know, so there's no bankruptcy court back then. Uh, there's no, uh, like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't pay this, I'm going to do a payment plan. There's no, welfare net system, there's no welfare system. So a lot of times people would sell themselves into slavery to pay the debts or just to maybe have a, have a regular meal. They had no way of providing for themselves. Slavery back then, too, also allowed slaves to buy themselves from, from out, of, uh, out of slavery. So you had to... A lot of slaves begin to save their money so eventually they can get out of slavery. So it's, it's, a, it's different uh, than, than it was in our country. However, I mean, slavery is slavery, right? <laughs> so it doesn't matter what century, like being owned as property was not a good thing. Um, that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians, in the middle of his letter, says, hey, if you can get out of slavery, yes. He's like, you should get out of slavery. Like no one want, That's not an ideal situation. Um, you're going to be mistreated. You're going to be abused. You're going to be ignored. Like that's the normal way of treating slaves in that day. That's why it's, it's interesting to notice here something very different. They're mentioned by name in an important letter. They're, they're recognized, they're affirmed. Uh, Paul, Apostle Paul wants to make sure he personally offers his greetings to these slaves. Um, we have examples in church history of a lot of slaves leading churches, being elders and deacons of churches. So. We have churches in the, in the first, in first, second, third century where a master might have to serve underneath his own slave, which, by the way, uh, was part of the beginnings of how slavery begins to unravel all around our country. Um, 
it's, it's this understanding of realizing, wait a second, <laughs> if this is true in, the, in, in church community, or they're treated as brother and sister, how can we let that be true in our society? The beginnings of a lot of abolition movements come from this understanding of the Bible. Um, slaves are finding in the church community a place where you're known not by your social status, where you're not valued by how much power or ability that you have, but instead it's because of just who you are, <laughs> that you're together in this community with other people, that you can be recognized, valued, affirmed by even an elite Jewish Pharisee, former Pharisee like Paul. So we roll deep, right, as a church community, we roll deep when as you, look, as you think of yourself as a Christian, you look around, you consciously say, I want to affirm Notice and value those who other people would not notice, affirm, and value. That we notice the weak, the unpopular. We notice and value the powerless. Those who are not valued are valued in our community. We will only roll deep to the degree in which we notice those type of people. Church community also rolls deep with people who have power and money and status. So the early church was full of marginalized people, full of women and slaves, so back then, they would be made fun of the, early, the church. They're like, this is just women and slaves. Like, what, what is this? But it's misleading. The church was also had a number of people who had status, who had power, who had money. And in fact, the early church survived because those people came and became part of the community and drew from their resources to host churches, to sponsor things. So notice uh, some of the examples of this in our passage. Verse 1. Phoebe is described as a patron. So a patron back then was someone with money and influence. And so in that society, the way you got ahead was by, um, by patronage. Patrons would look to, to sponsor people and sponsor causes that elevated them. So a lot of times it was like, a, I'm going to help sponsor this thing for the sake of the emperor. I'm going to build this, uh, this roadway or this stadium. I guess we still, <laughs> guess we still sort of do that. Right? But there was a lot of that back then. Phoebe is someone like that. She has the money and power to do things that are going to elevate her status, that show, wow, what a significant and important person that she is. But here is Phoebe not doing that. Phoebe is doing something you would never do. She's a patron for churches full of slaves. That is a waste of money back then. Why would you do that? To, to support and use your money and status for the sake of churches like this? And yet Paul is saying this is what she's doing. She's helping out all these other Christians She's helping out Paul, too. She's using this woman, this deacon, who's got money and status and influences, is using it to pay Paul's salary, right, so he can do ministry. He's used, she's using it to host uh, worship services and meals for the church. She's, hosting it, she's using it to help sponsor missionary work and church planning. She's using it to sponsor her trip. It's expensive to travel to Rome, but she's going to pay her way. She has the money and status to do that to make sure this letter gets there. Verse 5, another example of someone who was likely who's wealthy. Verse, uh, I don't have it there, but verse, oh, verse, uh, verse 5 meets, it mentions Priscilla and Aquila, and it says there, greet also the church in their house. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila definitely had some money. Uh, you, to have a house that's big enough to host people means that you had some wealth, you had some ability. Verse 23 mentions Gaius. Uh, he has a big enough house to host Paul and the whole Corinthian church probably 50 to 70 people. He's got money. He's got status. He's not saying, this is my place. Like, what are you all doing here? <laughs> right? Instead, he's saying, I can use this so we as the church can begin to meet and connect with one another. Verse 23 also mentions Erastus, the city treasurer. Again, clearly another person with power and money and status. Interesting thing about him is they've done some archaeological digs where the ancient city of Corinth used to be. 
and on the, they discovered this uh, limestone pavement, and it mentions his name there. It says Erastus sponsored this pavement, which, you know, an example, and we, it's great when we have archaeologically confirmed things like this, that here's an example, we think, of, of a confirmation of this guy, this guy who sponsored this, this city work in the city of Corinth, because it's an unusual name, that's why it's likely it's this person. Uh, he's part of this church. This guy with, with money, status, ability, he's part of this community, using his good name, using his resources for the sake of the church. So praise God. Praise God for people who use their power, their money, and status for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of their community. Using what they have, drawing from what they have, continuing to, to grow what they have so they can use more what they have for the sake of Christ. You should know, at Roosevelt, like Roosevelt would not, Roosevelt ex there's a lot of ways in which Roosevelt exists. It involves a lot of people giving a lot of their time, money, energy. But I always want to just no notice that number of the people with money, money, power, and status is why we're here. This building is because people with money and power and status bought the building and gave it to us. The reason that we're able to get off the ground, the reason that we're even close to paying off this building is because people are giving money, power, and status to help that happen. Um, people with money and power and status helped us when we almost ran out of money one year. You, some of you all remember this, right? <laughs> um, and contributed so that we could still continue doing what we're doing. Uh, giving money so that we could pay to fix our uh, AC system that you're enjoying right now. For two years in Roosevelt, we did not have a broken a working AC here. So praise God for you all who, who stay, stuck around. Like that's, that's suffering for the sake of the gospel, let me tell you that right now, during the summer. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was rough in these streets, I'm going to tell you that. Um, praise God that we eventually had people show up who were able to help, pay, help us pay for it. Um, people giving money and their time so that we could do short-term mission trips and sponsor uh, or build schools and wells in uh, Lacartania, Kenya. People, I mean all of you, giving what you have so that I can do this full-time, <laughs> I can lead our church as part of my vocation, um, as, as my whole, whole vocation, and John and others who have served, who are serving here at our church. Like, let's, as we think of yourself as a Christian, who do I roll deep with? Let's also recognize and affirm those who have money and status. And we don't, it's, have money and status isn't a bad thing, it's what you use it for. What you use it for. So praise God for those who say, all that I have, I'm not using it all for myself. I'm gonna draw from it for the sake of the community, so that we can roll deep, so lots of many different types of people can be together, advancing what God wants us to advance, for the sake of his church, for the sake of Christ. Number four, last one here, we roll deep with people from different ethnic, racial, and cultural backgrounds. This list has all sorts of Jewish and Gentile names listed here, and um, I've already made this point in a lot of different sermons, so I won't belabor this, but just in short, Let's again recognize that the early church was multi-ethnic from the start. The early church did not start with, like, we're going to start a Jewish church in uh, South Rome. <laughs> and in northern part of Rome, we're going to start a Gentile church. And then they'll get together for Christmas, right? That's not what they did. It was one church, right? One church. The church was multi-ethnic from the very beginning. And so when we think of community, think of we're going to have lots of different people together. The church, the, to be Exactly as much as, as God intends it to be, we should always be having the desire, the intention, as much as we're able. It's not easy in our country, for sure, given our history. It's not easy. Uh, our, America has spent more time in segregated churches than in multi-ethnic churches. The idea of a multi-ethnic church is a recent phenomenon. I want you to, you know, I hope you understand. We have, no, we have no institutional memory of what we are doing right here. 
like multi-ethnic churches, people started thinking and talking about that like in the 40s or 50s. It only began to pick up in the 80s. And even now, we're talking, it's still low percentages, right? And even lower percentages to have minorities leading multi-ethnic churches. This is unusual, right, what we have here. It's extremely unusual. It's hard. And yet the gospel allows us to do it over and over and over again. So that's why we press into it. That's why we believe in it. Um, that God brings us together, brings lots of different types of people together. We want to roll deep with as many different types of people as we can. All different races and ethnicities. So this is what it looks like. And, and, and so when you think of our mission as a church, you see it on the back here. I mean, this is one of the inspirations of it. We want to engage all people with all of Jesus. Because our community is all peoples. All sorts of different types of people. And especially the peoples we might most ignore and overlook. So that's one way of, of just saying here's the type of peoples we want to be. Uh, the kind of peoples we want to draw together and be together as. Um, but how do we stay together? Let me sort of uh, finish with a couple different characteristics that help us stay together. It's not enough to say here's the description of it. But in this passage we also have some ways of understanding what actually will help us be knit together. Ways in which we want to relate to one another as a community. Number one, so I have, uh, I have five here. Number one, we work together as a team. Uh, Paul is not a lone ranger Christian. Let's just recognize Paul is not doing stuff by himself. This is a list of people who are working alongside him, together with him. Ministry is a team effort. Too many of us are doing this Christian thing alone. Like, why? You don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to. It's a huge relief to me to know, like, what I'm doing is not just dependent on me. I want to work alongside other Christians. We work alongside together. God is, for us to, to be this community of lots of people who are rolling into our city, we do it as teams. We do it as a team, helping each other, supporting one another. Number two, we work hard and are willing to serve in whatever way is needed. So verses 3 and 9, 12 and 21, it mentions fellow workers. Verse 6, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Verse 12, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Aquila and Priscilla in verse 3, it mentions like they serve to the point of willing to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Paul. Uh, Andronicus and Julia, Julia, Unia, it mentions them being fellow prisoners. That means their commitment, their service was willing, was, went to the point of being, going to jail, right? For, that's how strong their commitment was to the gospel, their service for the sake of Jesus. One, one one that is easily overlooked, but just it's worth mentioning, verse 22, mentions Tertius, who wrote this letter. So back then, remember, they don't got Siri, Alexa, you can't just dictate stuff and it gets written for you. Um, no computers. Often, especially for a long letter, you would hire a secretary, and that secretary would write down what you have to say. And if it's a long letter, it's, it's, a, it's a hard task. Uh, this, is, this is what this guy is doing. Paul is dictating to Tertius. He's a secretary. And he's writing this all down. It's a major task. He's a background player. A lot of times, a guy like this, the, the most you'd hear from him is maybe at the beginning or end of the letter, say, hey, by the way, I am writing this on behalf of someone else. But Paul allows him to give his own personal greetings. So not to say I'm writing this letter, but to say, hey, I'm writing this, and also I want to extend my greetings to you in the Lord. And I have to think that it's Paul recognizing I'm a team, and I want to recognize the hard work, the service of this man <laughs> writing all this doctrine for me. Writing all these things for me. We're to be a church community. To be as, as full and rich of a community as we want to be, it requires us saying we will work hard together. We will serve together. We were committed to the gospel. And because we're committed to the gospel, we are dedicated to doing whatever it takes 
in all the ways that it takes. And so the things, the gifts that you have, the abilities that you have are not just for you. I want to say that again. They're not just for you. That in fact, if you are only serving for your sake, you're only doing things for your good, like you're wasting your life. And that's, that's not harsh, but you, you're wasting your life because God has specifically designed you to achieve your greatest fulfillment, your greatest sense of meaning as you serve and work hard in conjunction with other people. And you realize fulfillment for you, but also fulfillment for our community. We can only be a community that we need to be if we are serving and working together for the sake of Jesus. Number three, we're going to roll deep. What helps us come together and stay together is us treating each other as family. This family language all over in this passage. Verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother. Listen to Paul. He's like, she's been like a mother to me too. Verse 14 mentions uh, our synocritus, Lagan. I won't read all these, but at the end it says, and the brothers who are with him. So if you think about this, again, as we mentioned before, there's wealthy people in this list. There's slaves, men and women, Jews and Gentiles, all one family. All one family. Now, people ask me these days, well, so how, and we're all asking one another, how do we get along? <laughs> how can we get along in our current day and culture, especially with lots of different types of people? How do we get along? Well, uh, here's one answer the church has. Treat each other like family. Act like family towards one another, even all of any different types of people who are around you. Treat that woman like she's your sister. Treat those older men and women like fathers and mothers. Treat those young guys like sons and brothers. Look out for them as if they're your son or brother. Treat each other like family because in Christ, we really are family. Verse four, uh, number four, we show love and affection for one another. Verse 5, verse 8, verse 12, notice Paul refers to them as beloved. Uh, a, a, a beloved person. So notice all the ways in which the love language that's sort of woven throughout this passage. Verse 16 especially, Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So Jews and Gentiles, they can't just sort of show up in church and just attend. <laughs> Paul says, you've got to get close enough to each other that you have to show affection like this to give what you might say the ancient Near Eastern equivalent of a handshake, a warm smile, a hug. Jews and Gentiles who hated each other in the first century are now going to be in a community where they've got to get close enough to show affection, to show love for each other. At the heart of the gospel is love. God's love for us. That means at the heart of a community that believes in the gospel and follows the gospel has to be love. Our love back to God because he loved us first and because we're in this circle of love, we love one another too. At the heart of gospel-centered community is love. And so that's what helps us roll deep and stay together, right? That's, that's what helps us be a community. And when we show this to each other, when we show this love of God towards one another, the love of God that comes from Jesus Christ. So how might we show love to each other? How might you be intentional about the things that you say? It matters to say something nice to one another. It matters to say things that are kind and compassionate. It matters. It matters that you don't just tear people down the first time you see them. It matters you don't just tear people down when you see something online. <laughs> it matters that we say things that show love and care, a base level love and care. It doesn't mean you got to agree with people, but a base level of affection for one another. Paul is writing this letter knowing they don't agree to each other, and he still says greet one another with a holy kiss. It matters 
that we show love by even what we do. The warm smile as you walk by someone, the, the handshake and asking someone their name as you build relationships with, with people, the, the hugs that we give to people that we are getting to know and we're forming a relationship with each other. There is value in the fact that we're in the same physical space with each other. Let's never, let's never ever, let, let's always understand that it matters that we come here regularly in the same space. The most casual encounter you have is a way for us to build love and sustain love that allows us to continue to work the way that we do. Last one here. We are united together in Christ. So yes, the church rose deep. It's because we've been brought together in the same place. The only reason we can say there's lots of different types of people coming together around me, around one another. The only reason we can say that is because Jesus is sort of like that central place for us to gather. That in all the places scattered around the world and all our different backgrounds and lives, we come together in Christ. It's Christ who brings us together and helps us stay together. In Christ or in the Lord is the thread that ties all the different names that are in this passage. If you look through this, I'm just going to quickly highlight these. Verse 2, welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Andronicus and Unia, they were in Christ before me. Apolitus, my beloved in the Lord. Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Apollos, approve in Christ. Greet those, verse 11, in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Verses 12 and 13 and 14, 22, greet those workers in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. In the Lord, in Christ. That's our common family name. That's the place we all find. We find one another. That's the place, whenever you wander away from other people, whenever you wander away from the church, from Christian community, Find your way back by coming to find others who are together in Christ. That's why Paul can say in verse 16, all the churches of Christ greet you. So think about this. Churches all over the Roman Empire, Asia, Macedonia, Galatia, Syria. He's saying, we all greet you, Roman church. They don't know the Roman church well, and yet they're saying, we're in solidarity with you. We're with you. All these local churches are one big church. Why are they one big church? Because we're in Christ. Because of Jesus, because we're for Jesus, we're in Jesus. That's what brings us together. That's what keeps us together. That's what keeps us moving together. As we think, and as you sort of imagine, sort of, I just imagine in your mind right now, that when we leave this space, you may go to separate places, um, you know, work in, in, in separate locations, we're in separate neighborhoods, but spiritually speaking, we're always in the same place. We're always connected. We're always connected. And God uses those connections. What we do here is reaffirm those connections and again, commit ourselves to going in the same direction for the cause of Jesus, in Jesus. We roll deep. It's because of Christ. And because of that, we can be confident about what God will do. He'll add more here. Because what better thing there is to not realize you're not alone, but you can be under the goodness and grace of Jesus. He'll do good works in this, in this world. Good works will eventually lead to a new heaven and a new earth where there'll be no more sin. And we'll look around and be amazed that God has brought so many different types of people from so many different backgrounds, and we get to enjoy that together forever. May God continue to add to the community. Let's continue to move forward knowing that he has brought us together and will continue to lead us. Amen. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for um, what you do to bring people together and keep us together, Lord. And I pray, 
your forgiveness are the ways in which we stray from the ways in which we don't relate to each other and the ways that we see in this passage, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that, Lord, from the very beginning, you made a way for us, your community, to not be, not look this one way, or be only for one kind of people. Lord, the, the deepest impression we get from your word this morning is it's for everyone, and especially for those we might think it's not for. This is what you're doing. And so continue to expand our hearts and minds for that. Help us to use whatever we have, Lord. And thank you, Lord God, for how you value those with a lot and those, with, those who have little. Those who think they've got, who are significant and important and those who think they're not significant and important. Thank you for the ways in which you draw men and women. Thank you for the ways you draw boys and girls. Thank you for all the things that you do to bring us together. And Lord, do great things, Lord. And Lord, uh, not just for this church, but for every gospel-believing, Jesus-following church in this valley in this country, around the world. Thank you, Lord God, for what you began so many centuries ago. Thank you that it continues. Thank you that the gates of hell can never stand against your church because it's built on the rock that is Jesus. So Jesus, secure us, bind us, and release us for good works, for the name, for your name, for your glory, for the good of many people. We pray this. Amen.